on tracking the genealogy of Joseph, uh, and uh, not that Joseph was a biological father of Jesus, because Matthew always refers to uh, Joseph as the husband of Mary. He doesn't refer to him as the father of Jesus. But it is important to know the genealogies because of the fact that he needed to have the legal right to take the leadership or the role of sitting on the throne of David. And so Matthew presents us uh, Jesus Christ as king, and that's why he goes into such great detail with the genealogies. Mark, in the book that we're looking at this morning, Mark presents Jesus Christ as a servant. That's why Mark, we read chapter 1, uh, there's not much mention of the genealogies, of, no mention at all of the genealogies of Christ, and there's not much of a mention in reference to the birth of Jesus Christ uh, because of the fact that Mark is presenting him as a servant, and nobody's really interested in the servant's genealogies. No one's ever really interested in the background of a servant, so that's why Mark doesn't go into great detail. In Luke, however, we get into Luke, and we, Luke presents Christ as the Son of Man. And that's why in Luke, uh, you'll find a detailed uh, genealogy in reference to the background of Mary uh, because of the fact that Jesus will biologically born of Mary. And uh, because of that, then certainly he is uh, coming as the Son of Man. And so we want to know that genealogy and that background and so uh, well, Luke goes into detail of the genealogy of Mary. Jo uh, Matthew goes into detail of the genealogy of Joseph. And both of them track back to Solomon that literally establishes the right of Jesus' position as being the king of Israel. And so they follow through that. Then John presents Jesus as the son of God. And when you start out in John chapter 1, uh, John right away deals with the deity of Christ, that he is God. Uh, he deals with the creation that is around us. There's not anything created that was not created by Jesus Christ. He's in the beginning. He's before everything. He's after everything. And so uh, John goes into great detail in reference to Jesus Christ being the Son of God. So I want to focus on this Mark, Mark's chapter uh, 1, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And uh, he identifies, uh, John, Mark is more focused on presenting Christ in reference to the beginning of the gospel. We know in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul outlines what the gospel is. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so uh, John wants us to understand that, yes, in the beginning, he's born into this world. He's brought in through a virgin, Mary. Uh, but the reason why he came was to become or uh, fulfill that gospel message. He would die on Calvary. He would be buried and he would rise again. And so he, the beginning of the gospel. And so he's, can, he's really just trying to reveal the preparation for the coming of this Messiah, the coming of this Lord, who would literally be the one who would fulfill the gospel message. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill said this, John the Baptist never performed any miracles, yet he was greater than all the Old Testament prophets. And you think about John the Baptist as the forerunner of Christ, 
And you think of all that he did in his preaching and his baptizing and his pointing people towards the expectation of the coming of the Messiah. Uh, certainly he had a great ministry. God would use him in a powerful way. And so the beginning of the gospel. Notice, first of all, the preparation that took place, the preparation in reference to the gospel, the beginning of the gospel. In verse 2, it says, As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so the preparation is, deals with prophecy that is fulfilled. You know, we often speak of the prophecy in reference to the birth of Jesus Christ, and uh, all the prophecies that were told in the Old Testament came true exactly in reference to Christ. But yea, beyond those prophecies was the prophecies concerning the one who would prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come in his, to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in, behold, I shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And so prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the coming of Christ involved this forerunner, the one who would prepare the way uh, before the Lord's appearing. And uh, we, we think of this, the prophecy fulfilled is scriptures being applied. And uh, every scripture in the Bible is true. There's, there's no contradictions uh, there is nothing that is uh, presented in a position of error, but everything the prophets of old spoke about in coming of Christ uh, was in reference to this forerunner, uh, John the Baptist, to prepare the people's heart. Psalm 40 and 7 says, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And so everything that we read ascribes to the reality of who Christ is, and it ascribes to the reality of the preparing of the people to be ready when he comes. And yet, in light of all that, he's, the people still weren't ready. He came to his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so there is a preparation time of scriptures that need to be applied. And John coming on the scene, and Mark's writing about that coming of John, is an acknowledgement of the application of scriptures as it was written in the prophets. Behold, I send my messenger. And so not only the prophecy fulfilled, but I see in the scriptures the birth revealed. The birth revealed. Now John the Baptist was coming to prepare the way for the people, and that would be in reference to the birth of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 2, uh, as uh, the wise men are desiring to find out where this child is born, it says, And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it was spoken by the prophet. And that's speaking in reference to Micah. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem Ephrata, very specifically, very direct in where he was to be born, and so John is uh, uh, coming on the scene as the forerunner of Christ, acknowledging the fulfillment of prophecy 
and the revealing of the place where the one that is coming as the Messiah would be born. So he says, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before me. And so the forewarning, the foreknowledge, if you will, or the revelation that God has given through his prophets uh, should have prepared people uh, for the coming of Christ. I know the Bible speaks in reference to the return of Christ uh, in, uh, in the uh, future, and uh, we ought to be prepared for the return of Christ. And yet we, we look at people, and people aren't prepared to get right with God. People aren't prepared for the Lord. If the Lord was to return right now, there will be a shock to many a Christian, let alone many an unsaved person. And so this matter of preparation, God prepares us for what he's going to do. And he prepares for us what, what he's going to do through the scriptures that are revealed by the preacher as he expounds what God has prophesied that he is going to take do and take place in the future. So I see the preparation is so important, prophecy fulfilled. I see preparation is important in verse 3 because it's a voice crying. In verse 3 it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. A voice crying. You know, the world needs to hear the cry of the believer. The world needs to hear the cry of those of us that know Christ and are aware of the return of Christ. The world needs to, they may not like it. They may not accept it. They may be offended by it, but somebody needs to be crying in the wilderness. Not everybody accepted what John the Baptist had to say. And not what, it was not an open acceptance of who he was in his person, but he was the one who was preparing the way for the coming of the Lord, and he was a voice that was just simply crying out in the wilderness. We live in a wilderness in the world in which we live, and we need to be acknowledging uh, the coming of Christ, preparing the way of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 30, it's just a couple of verses here in Isaiah chapter 40 if you want to turn over there. In reference to this matter of the voice crying in the wilderness is preparing the way to God. Isaiah 40 and uh, verse 3 says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And so that voice that is crying out that was prophesied that John the Baptist would fulfill was one that was in a desert place, but it was a highway for our God. We're making the way, he wanted to make the way open to have access to who God was. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so to prepare the way to God, we must be a voice that's crying in the wilderness that there's only one way to heaven. There's not multiple opportunities. There's not multiple ways to get to, to heaven. Uh, but rather, there's only one, that the one that Christ has fulfilled in coming into this world and fulfilling the promises that God gave to us out of his book in the Old Testament. So it prepares the way to God. I, I'm thankful uh, that my mo mother took me to church in Sunday school when I was younger. I wasn't thankful then. But I'm thankful now uh, because the things I heard when I was in Sunday school as a child prepared me for when I would finally hear the gospel. 
For 27 years, nobody explained the gospel to me. No one, for 27 years, no one was clear about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But I'm thankful that the groundwork was laid, that the scriptures were revealed as a child. And then when I heard the gospel, there was the preparation that was experienced that prepared me for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I got gloriously saved. There is somebody that God wants you to prepare their heart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the beginning of the gospel is an experience through acknowledging the birth of Christ, the one who would come into this world to take on the sins of all mankind. So it's preparing the way to God. Not only is a voice crying in the wilderness preparing the way to God, but it makes straight the crooked. Notice in verse 4 of Isaiah 40, it says, Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. I'm thankful that God is going to make a way for us in straightening out the crooked places. I was thinking the other day, I don't know whether I'm just getting old and thinking about my life when I'm going in the past, but I was just thinking the other day how wicked my life was. I mean, I just started thinking. I don't know whether it was the devil trying to bring things to my mind to discourage me or it was the flesh that was trying to defeat me. But all I know is I was just thinking about all the wicked things that I did. And I had to ask the Lord to purify my mind and clean my mind up after thinking of all the wicked things I did in my life. I'm glad that my heart was prepared for the day when the way to God would be made clear so he could take my crooked life and he could straighten it out and put it on the right path. And I think, listen, we cry and we complain about what's going on in the world that we live in today, how wicked it is, how vile it is, how corrupt it is. Hey, there's only one thing that's going to make it straight, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20 says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. We're not talking about more religion. We're not talking about more hypocrisy. We're not talking about putting on a show. We're talking about a voice that cries in the wilderness that, wait a minute, there is more to life than hypocrisy. There is a God in heaven who is holy and a God in heaven who can make you holy if you'll receive him as your personal savior. So the voice crying, prepare the way to God, make the straight, the crooked paths. Then in Isaiah chapter 40, in verse 5, says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And I'm thankful that not only the crying in the vo uh, a voice crying prepares the way to God and makes straight the crooked, it reveals the glory of God. You know, John chapter 1, it says, We beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Lord. And the glory of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, when they were, oh, John was crying in the wilderness that this Messiah was coming, this King is coming, uh, this uh, Savior is coming. They did not realize the glory that they were going to experience when they looked into the face of Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we forget about how glorious it is to know God and to receive Christ as our Savior. So the preparation is prophecy fulfilled. 
a voice crying, but then it's also a Savior confirmed, a Savior confirmed. In John chapter 3, and uh, John chapter 3, I want to look at just a few verses there, and you can turn over to John chapter 3 in verse 30 through 36. John the Baptist makes this great statement in John chapter 3 in verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. If there is one thing that we need to acknowledge is that, wait a minute, Jesus Christ is everything and we are nothing. And uh, in our lives, Christ must be exalted and he must be lifted up. And need, we need less of ourselves and more of Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist understood that as he was preparing the way for the Lord to come into this world. He acknowledges that he must increase and I must increase and decrease. In verse 31, it says, He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. I think it would be good, it would behoove us to acknowledge the fact that we are earthly. At best, we're earthly. Jesus Christ is heavenly. He came down from above, and because he came down from above, he brought the righteousness of God to us. And, and our thoughts are, is always tainted. I often preach and I warn about humanism, and I often catch myself on how I have humanistic thoughts. I was raised in a humanistic school. I wasn't raised in a Christian school. And, uh, if, and the world, listen, the world taints our thought process. And because it taints our thought process, we have a, a tendency to think that we're better than what we really are. But Jesus Christ is from above, and because of that, he is above all things. Then in verse 32, it says, And what he has seen and uh, heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given unto him, uh, given all things into his hands. Verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. A Savior that is confirmed is the fact that you must receive Christ as your Savior. If you have Jesus as your personal Savior, you have eternal life. If you're not saved, you have no hope of going to heaven. You've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. You, you have no hope of being forgiven of God. Why? Because he that hath the Son hath everlasting life, and he that hath not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth. We often think, we often think, well, you know, judgment day is coming. No, you're already under the judgment of God. You say, well, I'll get saved. I've had people say, well, I'll get saved later on. Uh, I understand what you're saying. I'll trust Christ. That You don't know if you're going to have that time or that opportunity to do that. And the reality is you don't have to wait till you die to get under the wrath and the judgment of God. If you don't have Christ as your Savior, you're already under the judgment and the wrath of God. The preparation of getting people to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question comes to our mind. In reference to the preparation, are you prepared to meet the Lord? That's the bottom line. 
You know, death can come so quickly. The rapture can come so quickly. Are you ready to, if you had to meet before God right at this very second, at this very moment, are you prepared to meet him? John the Baptist came and presented the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the fact he was the one who was going to prepare people to be ready to meet with the Lord. So I see the preparation. In our chapter, in Mark chapter 1, I see the preaching. In uh, verse 3 and 4, and uh, uh, verse 4 and 5, I'm sorry, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And so I see several things here. Then the preaching of John the Baptist, I see repentance was necessary. Uh, it's a strange, strange world that we live in because of the fact that uh, repentance is practically removed from preaching in Christian churches. Uh, everything's health, wealth, and prosperity. Is Everything's all, let's all get along. Everything's all that everybody can be accepted. Uh, the reality is we are accepted in Christ. We all can get along if we're in Christ. The, the problem is we don't want to put our differences away. We want to repent of our sin, and it causes all kinds of frictions and problems and conflicts in the church, in the home, and in our society. Repentance is necessary. And Ezekiel uh, preached repentance. In Ezekiel chapter uh, 14 and verse 6, it says, Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent and turn yourselves from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. And so Ezekiel preached that we had to repent in order to be right with God. And uh, certainly if the one thing that is necessary for us to be right with the Lord is this matter of repentance. It's turning around from what we were. In other words, if you get saved, then you no longer live like you're unsaved. If you trust Christ as your Savior, the things that enticed you and, and turn your heart away from God no longer do that. And it's because of the fact that Jesus Christ has made the difference in your life. Not only did Ezekiel preach repentance, but John preached repentance. In John chapter 3, verse 1. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, we just read in chapter 1 of Mark that Judea and Jerusalem were coming and flocking to John to be baptized. Why? Saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Literally meaning the kingdom of heaven is ready to spring forth at any moment. And so Ezekiel preached repentance. John preached repentance. Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17 preached repentance. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What am I saying? I'm saying that no matter you're, if you're looking at an Old Testament preacher... Or if you're looking at a New Testament preacher, or if you're looking at Jesus Christ himself, the message was a simple message that was all the same, was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, literally ready to spring forth at any minute. 
Why would prophets of old preach that? Why would John preach that? Why would Jesus, Jesus preach that? Because of the fact that Jesus coming into this world, being born in this world, was at hand. At any moment, man not even realizing and understanding Christ would be born. But beyond that, at any moment, Jesus Christ can come again. Repentance is necessary. It's high time that we repent of our sin and get right with God. Here's a few verses. I think I put these on there. Matthew chapter 3 in verse 2. Did I put that on there, Tommy? I did, okay. I forget what I put on there sometimes. Matthew 3, 2 says, And saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Mark chapter 1 in verse 15, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, I tell ye, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. I'm just saying this over and over and over again. The preaching or the message that is revealed in reference to the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message of repentance. Repentance. I like what, uh, what Curtis Hudson said, old preacher from years gone by. He said, there is no doubt that all men from Adam on have had to repent in order to have a right relationship with God. The importance of repentance is demonstrated by the fact that men of every biblical age preached it. You don't find any generation throughout the history of time that there has not been some preacher preaching repent. But yet we want to ignore it. Yet we want to live our Christian life like it doesn't matter whether we repent or not. We think we can go on in it. And so the repentance is necessary. I see not only the preaching is repentance as necessary, but in our text in verse 5, we see that the multitudes inquiry. And so preaching repentance is necessary. Why? Because it causes the multitudes to inquiry. They want to look and find out what it's all about. Uh, because it says here, all they of the land of Judea and all they of Jerusalem were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Notice, first of all, that the crowds came to John. In Mark chapter 1, it recording for us that the crowds were coming and John's preaching of repentance. Oftentimes we give people today, they say, well, you don't want to preach hard. You don't want to preach on sin. You don't want to preach on repentance. People get offended. They won't come to church because you preach you're going to repentance. John preached a hard message on repentance, and the multitudes went after him. Why? Because they had the expectation of a Savior. We, repeat, we preach repentance to give people an expectation that God is coming. God will fill their heart. God will save their soul. And we want to have a heart of expectation that if God is coming, there's something he requires of me. So the crowds came to John in expectation of a Savior. The interesting thing is the crowds came to Jesus. Jesus was preaching repentance. 
And the multitudes would gather around Jesus so much so that you'd have one of the greatest miracles recorded in the Bible in John chapter 6. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women. And why were they fed? Because Jesus had compassion on them. Because it was late in the day, they were taking no food. They had no means of being fed. And Jesus would create a miracle in giving them the loaves and, and the fishes and feeding the multitudes. And that would go on day after day after day. Crowds would multiply in coming to hear Jesus Christ as repent as he preached, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. What was the difference? John's crowds were coming with an expectation of a savior. Jesus' crowds were coming because they were experiencing the Savior. And it's one thing to give people an expectation that I need to get right with the Lord. Because the Lord's coming, but wait a minute, you can experience who Christ is through faith and believing and trusting uh, that he came into this world. So John, uh, the beginning of the gospel, uh, we see the preparation, uh, we see the preaching, not only a multitude's inquiry, but we see sins respond sincerely. In verse 4, he says that they uh, were baptized for the remissions of sins. In verse 5, it ends with confessing their sins. And so two aspects of dealing with this sin, response of sin sincerely to the message of repentance was remission. Remission just means to be eliminated, to be removed. I'm thankful that he has removed my sin. I'm thankful when you get saved that he remembers our sin no more. God is omniscient. He knows everything from the beginning to the end and beyond, but he chooses to forget our sins once they're under the blood of Jesus Christ. Remissions of sins. But also this matter of confession of sin. You know, 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, yes, the preaching of Christ uh, gives us hope and it gives us an experience. But the reality is that experience is not just a removing of my sin, but my acknowledging my sin so God can cleanse me and, uh, and forgive me of all those things. Martin Luther said this, the recognition of sin is the beginning of salvation. I'm afraid that we have watered down our soul winning efforts to a point to where we just want to talk to people. Well, you know, the well, Lord loves you, and I mean, God's good, and I know you want to go to heaven. We don't want to talk about sin with them. How can a person repent of their sin if they're not told what their sin is? And when I, when, I'll tell you, when I got under conviction about not going to heaven, I'll tell you what I was under conviction of. I was under conviction of my sin that I was committing. And I had to call out on God and, and ask for his forgiveness of my sin. If I'm not a sinner, I don't need forgiveness. And that's the problem. Everybody, every, it's amazing, you know, everybody's, oh, I'm not a sinner. You know, it's, oh, okay, well, you just sinned because you just told me a lie, amen. <laughs> every one of us are sinners. And so the beginning of the gospel is John presenting to us uh, who Christ is, prepare a way, but also preaching of repentance so that man may confess. So the question, that, that section creates a question for us. Have you confessed your sins? 
what sins are you holding on to? Uh, what sins are you not willing to release? What sins uh, that you enjoy so much you're not going to confess them before Christ because he may forgive you and cleanse you and deliver you from it, and you want to continue in it. And so have we confessed our sins? So we see the preparation, we see the preaching, and then verse 6 through 8, we see the presentation. The presentation, verse 7 says, and preaching, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and loose, unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Here's some thoughts. First of all, the presentation is the humility of the servant. The humility of a servant. Verse 6, he was clothed with camel's hair and with girdled with a skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and honey. Now, what's the significance of that? The significance is this. He's not conforming or not being comfortable in the world. He came wearing Campbell's hair. And so he wasn't conforming to the righteousness of the Pharisees. The religious crowd certainly had their garb that they would wear and certainly depicted themselves in a particular way, and uh, John did not fit in with that crowd. Uh, he did not conform to what the world's standards were. He did not conform or be comfortable with what the world was offering. He just was a humble servant uh, who took nothing upon himself, but just wore camel's hair. It's interesting that Elijah did the same thing. And there, there is this matter of being a humble servant of God where we refuse to accept the standards of the world and be part of what the world has to do. Not only that, but he says he had a, a leather girdle, or it says here that his uh, girdle was a skin about his loins. The skin is leather of an animal's skin. So he had contempt for the pleasures of the world. Uh, rather than being dressed in something that would have been more comfortable and more uh, uh, suitable, I guess you would say, to be able to enjoy life in the world, he, took, he had contempt for the pleasures of the world. And then it says he ate locusts and wild honey. He was just simply conscious of dependence on God. Uh, he didn't have a job. He didn't uh, have resources. He didn't have uh, fancy food and expensive food to eat. He just ate wild locusts and wild honey. And he was depending on God to be able to meet his needs each and every day. Why? Because God had called him to prepare the way and to preach a message and to be able to present for us the beginning of the gospel. And so we see he was a humble servant. We see not only this presentation of a humility of a servant, but we see the monarchy of the Messiah. In verse 7, it says in the preach, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. You see the power. He was going to be the one that was coming after him was mighty. That's why John, I'm sorry, Matthew 28 and 18, it says, And Jesus spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me on earth and in heaven. And uh, so Jesus literally uh, presents himself as the being the almighty God. 
And John, in his presentation, is acknowledging the monarchy. Israel was dying for and crying for a, a, a throne of David to be filled. Rome was ruling over them and oppressing them. They were looking for a king, and John wants them to know, hey, the one that is coming, the one I'm presenting, the one that I'm preaching about is the one who's going to be all-powerful when he comes. And so he's the power. We see the preeminence because he says, whose shoes I am not worthy to unlatch it. The preeminence of Christ in Colossians 1.18 says he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. John is not taking the position of preeminence. He's the forerunner. He's presenting the beginning of the gospel, but he's making it very clear the gospel is not built on him. The gospel is going to be the one that comes after him who has the preeminence in all things. And so we see the monarchy of the Messiah. Then in verse 8, we see the superiority of the Spirit. The superiority of the Spirit. He says, I indeed baptize you with water, but ye shall... Uh, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And uh, the amazing thing is this, the, the power and the move of the Spirit of God that would come upon people. Acts 1.8 says, you shall receive power if the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And the, the amazing thing is that Jesus would baptize us with the Holy Spirit. In, in Psalm 110 in verse 1 through 3, listen to these verses for, for just a moment. Psalm 110 and verse 1 through 3. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make mine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning Thou hast the dew of thy youth. And John was simply the one who was preparing the way for the Messiah that would come because of the fact that he would be the one, the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. And Jesus Christ would be the one who would be the Savior of this world. And so John presents to us the beginning of the gospel. He presents to us a, a question that has to be answered and that is simply this, have you personally received Jesus Christ as your Savior? That's the question. And when Christmas comes, you've got to answer these questions. You've got to be, answered, be able to answer, am I prepared, am I ready to meet the Lord? We've got to be ready to answer the question, have I confessed my sins? And we've got to be able to answer the question, have I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior? Somebody can't make that decision for you. Somebody can't state that for you. You have to state that and experience that yourself. And so John presents to us a little bit different Christmas message this morning. But John presents to us the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we celebrate the birth of Christ, we're celebrating the beginning of the gospel. Because there would be no gospel if Jesus did not come into this world. There would be no gospel if he was not born of the Virgin Mary. There would be no gospel if God didn't take on the fleshly robe of mankind. 
There would be no gospel if he did not go to Calvary and die and be buried and rise again and sent up to heaven. And so the beginning of the gospel, let's celebrate as Christmas, the reality that we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation. And that's in a nutshell all that Christmas is about. It's Christ coming and establishing that gospel for us. I'm thankful for John. We can learn so much from the Gospel of John as we read about the birth of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the Gospel. Uh, thank you, Lord, that we can know that we're saved. And I pray, I do pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here or anyone watching by live stream, God, I, I pray, O oh Holy Spirit of God, touch their hearts, draw them to the cross. Enable them, Lord, to believe on the Savior and that they might be gloriously saved and born again. I pray for every believer that we might rejoice in the beginning of the gospel. What a great message we have to share with folks that have no hope. Help us, Lord. Help us to turn their hearts towards Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's